The Enchanted April by Elizabeth von Abraham Rim. Chapter 1 began in the Women's Club in London on February afternoon, an unfortunate club and a miserable afternoon, when Mr Wilkins, who had come down from Hampstead to shop and had lunched at her club, took up the times from the table in the smoking room, and running a listless eye down the agony column, saw this. To those who appreciate winter and sunshine, small Mediterranean Italian castle, shores and Mediterranean, to be let furnished for the month of April. Necessary servants remain. Z-Box 1000, the Times. That was its conception. Yet, as in the case of many, another conceiver was unaware of it at the moment. So inventorily unaware was Miss Wilkins at her April for that year, had then and there been settled for her, as she dropped the newspaper with a gesture, both irritated and resigned, went over the window and stared drearily, drearily out of the dripping street. Not for her were medieval castles, even those that were specially described as small. Not for her the shores of April, the Mediterranean, whisper and the sunshine. Such lights were only for the rich. Yet the advertisement been advertised to persons who appreciate these things. They had been anyhow addressed to her, to her, for she certainly appreciated them more than anyone knew, more than she had ever t- told. But she was poor. Oh well, she possessed her very own, only ninety pounds, saved for the year to year, put by carefully, pound by pound, out of her dress allowance. She had scraped this sum together, suggestion of her husband, as a shield and refuge against a rainy day. The dress allowance given her by father was a hundred pound a year. So Miss Wilkins' clothes were, that her husband urging to be sa- her to save, called modest and becoming her acquaintance to each other, and they were spoke to her at all, which was seldom, for she was very neglectable. He was very neglectable, called a perfect sight. Mr. Wilkins, much the solicitor, encouraged thrift and set a branch of it which got into his food. He, he did not call that thrift. He called it bad housekeeping. But for the thrift which, like moth, penetrated the mist of Miss Watkins' clothes, and followed them, he would praise. Had much praise you never knew. No, he said. Then there'll be a rainy day. You may be very glad to find you have a nest egg. Indeed, we both may. Looking out the wind, club window into Shrewsbury Avenue, hers was an economical club. Convenient. For Hempstead, where she lived, and for schoolbreds, where she shopped, Miss Wilkins, having stood there some time very drearily, her mind's eye on the Mediterranean in April and the Vistra, the inevitable opportunities of the rich, where her bodily eye watched the redly, extremely horrible, snotty rain, snooty rain, sooty, sooty rain, falling steadily, hurrying none brothers, especially on brothers. So he wondered whether perhaps it was not a rainy day, Mellish Mellish was Mrs. Wilkins had so often encouraged her to prepare for. And whether to get out such a climate into the small Mediterranean castle was not wasn't perhaps what Providence had all along intended her to do with her savings. Part of the savings, of course. Perhaps quite a small part, because of being medieval, might also be deteriorated. The applications were surely cheap. She wouldn't in the least mind a few of them because you don't pay for depredations, which are already there on the contrary, reducing the price. You had to pay. They really paid you. 
But what nonsense to think of it. She turned away from the window with the same gesture, mingled in irritation, resigned with which, resignation which she had laid down at times, across the room towards the door, the intention of getting a Macintosh, an umbrella, and fighting away into one of the overcrowded omnibuses, going to shore, school brits on her way home, at burying some squat shoals for Merrish dinner. Merrish was difficult with fish, lightly light over only souls, except salmon. When she beheld Miss Everbot, a woman she knew by sight, as also living in Hampstead, belonging to the cub, sitting on the table in the middle of the room, which the newspapers and magazines were kept, so all in her turn the face pages of the Times. Miss Watkins never had never yet spoken to Miss Avernot, who belonged to one of the various church sets, where then lies classified, divided, ready to the poor, whereas he and Manish, when they did go out, went to the parties of impressionist painters, whom in Hammersted there were many, Hamishish had a sister who had married one of them and lived up on Heath because of his lights. Miss Watkins was drawn into a circle which was hardly unnatural to her, and she learned to dread pictures. She had to say things about them. She didn't know what to say. She used to murmur marvellous and feel it was not enough. But nobody minded, nobody listened, nobody took any notice of Miss Watkins. She was the kind of person who was not noticed at parties. Her clothes infested by thrift, made by uh, practically invisible. Her face was non-arresting. Conversation was reluctant. She was shy. For one clothes and faces adverse or all needed. Negligible, thought Mrs. Watkins. Recognise her disabilities. What art parties is there left of one? Also, she is always with Watkins, that clean-shaven, fine-looking man. Gave a party merely by coming to it. Great M. Watkins was very respectable. You know him to be hardly fought by his senior partners. His sisters at circle admired him. But ancestrally, intelligent judgments on art and artists. He's pithy. He's prudent. He never said a word too much. Nor, on the other hand, did he say a word too little. Produced impression of being keeping copies for everything he said. He was so obviously reliable. It often happened that people who met him at these parties became discontented with their own solicitors who appeared to win and restless eradicated themselves and went to Wilkins. Actually, Mrs. Wilkins was blotted out. She said to her sister, there's something itself additional, digested, and final in manner. She stay at home, but Wilkins could not leave his wife at home. He was a family sister. All such had wives and stole them. With his, with his uh, week, he went to parties. With his, his on Sundays, he went to church. Being fairly young, he was 39, ambitious of old ladies, of, uh, to whom he had not acquired practice of sniff of number. He had not afforded Miss Church. As there, the Miss Watkins came and familiar. Through, never, through words with Miss Avernot. She saw her marshalling the children pour into pews. She had come into the head of the procession for the Sunday school, exactly five minutes for the choir. Get over her boys and girls neatly fitted in allotted seats and down on their little knees, primary prayer, up again on their feet just as a swelling organ. A vestry door opened and the choir and clergy big with their literaries and commandments. They were presently to roll out and merge. She had a sad face, yet she is eventually efficient. Combination used to make Miss Watkins wonder, for she had ever 
had ever been told by Melish on days when she had only been able to get pace. It is if one were efficient, one wouldn't be depressed. If one does one job, one will come automatically bright and brisk. About Miss Eversnot, if nothing brisk, bright and brisk, though much in a way with the Sunday school children, that was automatic. But when Miss Wilkins, turning from the window, caught sight of her club, she's not being automatic at all. But looking fixedly at one portion, the front page of the Times, holding a paper quite still, eyes not moving, she's just staring in her face as usual, with the face of a patient, disappointed Maradona. Miss Wilkins watched her, watched her a minute, trying to screw up courage to speak to her. She wanted to ask if she had seen the advertisement. She did not know why she wanted to ask her this, but she wanted to. How stupid not to be able to speak to her. She looked so kind. She looked so unhappy. Why couldn't two unhappy people refresh each other on their way through the dirty, dusty business of life by little small talk, little small talk really natural talk, about what they felt, what they would have liked, what they still tried to hope. She could not help thinking that Miss Eldercott not too was reading the same advertisement. Her eyes were on a very part of the labour. Was she too picturing that it would not be like the colour, the fragrance of light, soft lappings of sea among the little hot rocks, colour, fragrance, light, sea, says Shrewsbury Avenue, the wet omnibuses, the fish department, the showbreds, the tubes of Hampstead, the dinner and tomorrow the same, the day after the same and always the same. So then Miss Watkins found herself leaning towards across the table. Are you reading about the tremendous evil castle, Whisperer? She heard herself asking. Then she must have got was surprised. It was not as much. She was not half as much surprised as Miss Wilkins as herself was for asking. Is ever not? Was not yet acknowledged, set eyes on a shabby lank, loosely put together figure sitting opposite her, with his small, freckled face and big grey eyes, almost disappearing under smashed down water, wet with her hat. She gazed at a moment, a moment without answering. She was reading about the Mandeville Castle when I wished for her. Her mother had read about it ten minutes before, since then been lost in dreams of light of colour, fragrance of the soft lapping of the sea, of little rock rocks. Why do you ask me that? she said in a grave voice, for a training of, of that, for the poor, made her grave and patient. Miss Watkins flushed and looked excessively shy and frightened, only because I saw it too. Thought perhaps I thought somehow she stammered. Whereupon Miss Everett, her mind being used to getting people to listen to visions, were happy to considered. She gazed thoughtfully at Miss Wilkins under my heading. Supposedly she had a classifier. She could not probably be put. She, she could most probably be put. Ah, oh, I know you by sight, went on Miss Watkins, who, like all the shy, once she was started, lunged on, throwing herself to, to more and more speech by the sheer sound of what she said in her last said in ears. Every Sunday I see you every Sunday in church, in church, and you miss a forgot. It seems such a wonderful thing, this advertisement, by Wistra and Miss Watkins, who must have been at least thirty, broke off and wiggled a chair with a movement. Awkward, embarrassed schoolgirl. Seems so wonderful, she went on a kind of bust. It's such a miserable day. And she sat looking at Miss Uppercott, with the eyes of a prison dog. The poor thing, thought Miss Uppercott, whose life was spent in my helping of alternating. Needs a vice. She accordingly prepared herself patiently to give it. 
If you see me in church, she said kindly and attentively, I suppose you live in Hempstead too. Oh yes, said Miss Watkins, she repeated. Her head is a long, thin neck drooping a little. The direction of Hempstead bowed her. Oh yes, where, said Miss Avalcott. Who, then advised, when advised was needed, naturally first proceeded to collect the facts, but Miss Wilkins, laying her hands softly and crisply on a part of the times, where advertisement was, as though they were mere printed words of it were precious, and he said, perhaps, is why it seems so wonderful. No, I think that's wonderful anyway. Anyhow, said Miss Wilkins, forgetting facts and faintly saying, then you're reading it? You were reading it, yes, said Miss Wilkins, her eyes going dreamy again. Wouldn't it be wonderful, murmured Miss Watkins. Wonderful, said Mephagot, a face which, which had lit up, faded in patience again. Very wonderful, she had said. But it's no use waiting one's, wasting one time thinking of such things. Oh, but it is, said it was, was Miss Watkins' quick, surprising reply. Surprising, because it's so much like the rest of her couchless coat and skirt, the crumbled hat, the undecided wisp of the hair dragging out, and just the considering... And them is worthwhile itself such a change from Hansted. Sometimes I believe, I go into believe, I really do believe. If one considers this hard enough, one get things. Miss Wilcott reserved her patiently. In what category would she, supposedly, he had to put her? Perhaps she said, leaning forward a little. You tell me your name, if you will, are to be friends, she smiled. A great smile, I am. hope we are. We had better begin at the beginning. Oh yes, how kind of you. I am Miss Watkins, said Miss Watkins. Don't expect she added flushing. Miss Overcott said nothing. Or well, it conveys anything to you. Sometimes it is, doesn't seem to convey anything to me either. But she looked around with a moment of so we can help. I am Miss Watkins. She do not like her name. It was a mean, small name. A kind of fictitious twist. He thought at its end, an upward curve of pug balls, dog's tail. There it was, however. There was no doing, doing anything all with it. What can she was and what can she would remain? And those her husband encouraged her to give it up to her all occasions. And Mrs. Millerish Watkins, she did own, she did, she only did that when she he was in his shop. For she thought money made Watkins worse. Advertising the way Chatsworth, a gate, in that way of Chatsworth on the gate post of villa, emphasised the word of villa. At first she suggested she should add Menelish. She had objected for another reason, and after Paul's Menelish was so was much too prudent to speak a set of the pause during which presumably he was taken a careful note of his coming of his observation. He said, much displeasure, but I'm not a villa. And looked at her as he looks who hopes perhaps a hundred times that he may not have married a fool. Of course he's not a villa, Miss Watkins assured him. He never supposed he was. She had not dreamed of meaning. She was only just thinking. The more she explained, the more earnest became Minish's hope, familiar to him by this time. He had been made a husband for two years. He might not be any chance of married a fool. They had a prolonged quarrel. It had been called a quarrel, which is conducted with dignified silence on either one side, and its apology on the other. As to whether or no Miss Watkins attended to suggest Mr. Watkins was a villa. I believe she said fault when it was at last over and looked at a long while took a long while anyone would quarrel about anything when you were not left two off being together for a single day for a whole two whole years 
Well, we both need a holiday. Mrs. My husband went on Miss Watkins to Mrs. Overwrought, trying to throw some light on herself. So this day, he cast about, he cast about her for something. She say Troy Millish have found very handsome. Well, said Mrs. Connie, you must be a great pleasure to you. Why? asked Miss Watkins. Because Miss Overcott, and it'll take him back for constant intercourse with poor, and a cousin her to have no pronouncement except about question. Because beauty, handsomeness, is a gift like any other, if properly, if properly used. She trailed off in a silence, Miss Watkins' great grey eyes fixed on her, seeing suddenly to Mrs. Overcott that perhaps she would come in crystallised, having expostation, presentation after Manel's nursemaids, though having an audience that wouldn't but agree, but would be afraid, had wished to interrupt, didn't know, was it was in fact her mercy. But Mr. Watkins was not listening, but just then, so as it seemed, a picture flashed across the brain. There were two figures sitting together, and a great trilling whisperer that stretched across the branches of a tree. She didn't know it was herself and Miss Overcott. She saw them, she saw them, Binding with bright sunshine, with old grey walls of middle castle, she saw it. They, they, and they were they, were there. She therefore stared at Miss Upcott. She did not hear words, she said. Miss Upcott stared too, Miss Watkins, with an expression of face, which was swept by the excitement of what she saw, was in luminous and tremendous under it, as water in the sunlight, was ruffled by a gust of wind. At this moment, it had been, if she had been a party, a party Miss Watkins would have been looked at with interest. He said to her, Miss Overcott, surprised and quarrelingly. Mr. Watkins with the eyes of someone, a revelation, of course. As was now how it would, could be done. She herself, she by herself couldn't afford it. She wouldn't be able, even if she could afford it. No, go low, they're all alone. But she and Miss Overcott together, she leaned across the table. Why don't we try and get it? She whispered. Miss Overcott became even more wide-eyed. Get it? She repeated. Yes, said Miss Watkins, still as though she were afraid of being overheard. Not just sit here and say how wonderful, and then go home. I said, well, having put out a finger to go home, as you usually see about the dinner, fish, that we've been doing for years and years, or go on doing for years and years, in fact, said Miss Watkins, pressing to the roots of her hair for a second, sound of what she was saying, what she was coming was coming pouring out frightened her, yet she couldn't stop. I see no end of it. There is no end of it. So there ought to be a break. There ought to be intervals if everyone's interests in everybody's interests. Why would it really be everyone selfish to go away and be happy for a little? Because we would come back so much nicer. You see, after a bit everybody needs a holiday. But how do you mean how do you do you mean get it? asked Miss Wovercott. Take it, said Mrs. Watt. Lookins, take it, read it, hurry, have it. But do you mean you and I? Yes, between us, share. Then it would only cost half, and you may look so. Look, certainly, if you wanted it, just as I do. If you ought to have a rest, have something happy happen to you. Why don't we? Why we don't know each other? But just think how well we would. We went away together for a month. I saved for a rainy day. Expect to view. This is a rainy day. I look at it. She's unbalanced, thought Miss Overcott, yet she felt strangely stirred. Think of getting away for a whole month from everything to heaven. 
She shouldn't say things like that, thought Miss Forgot the vicar, yet she felt strangely stirred. It would indeed be wonderful to have a rest at sedation. Having however steadied her again, and years of intercourse, the poor made her say slight, though, though sympathetic superiority of explaining it then. You see, heaven isn't somewhere else. It's here and now, we're told so. She became very earnest, just as she did, and trying patient to help the enlightened the poor. Heaven is within us, she said in a gentle tone voice. You are told and on the very highest authority. You know the lines about the kindred points, don't you? Oh yes, I know them, interrupted Mrs. Wilkins impatiently. Patiently. Kindred points of heaven and home, kindred Mrs. Overcott, who was used to finishing her senses. Heaven is our home. It isn't, said Mrs. Wilkins. Again, surprisingly, Miss Overcott was not taken aback. And she said gently, Ah, oh, but it is. Is it? It is there. We choose if we make it. I do choose, and I do make it. It isn't, said Mr. Watkins. Miss Overcott was silent. She too sometimes had doubts about Holmes. Sat and laughed. Not then easy at Miss Wil- Wilkins, feeling more and more the urgent need of getting classi- classified. If she could only classify Miss Watkins, get her safely under a proper heading, she felt she had herself again. She felt that she herself would again regain a balance, which did seem very strange to be slipping all to one side. But even as she had a holiday for years, every time when she saw it and set her dreaming, Miss Wilkins at Simon, but it was infectious. She had a sensation as she listened to her impetuous old talk, watched her slit, lit up face as she was being stirred out of her sleep. Clearly, Miss Watkins was unbalanced, Miss Wilkins forgot, had met the unbalanced before. Indeed, she's always meeting them. They had no effect on her own stability at all. Whereabouts this one, making her feel quite wobbly. Well, as though to be off and away, away from her compass points of God, husband and home and duty, she didn't feel as if Miss Watkins intended Mr. Watkins to come too, just for once, be happy, would be both good and desirable, which of course what it wasn't, which certainly of course it wasn't. She also had a nest egg invested gradually into the post office savings bank, but had supposed that she could never get a duty to stent. The drawing out and spending on herself, and surely, surely, surge, surely she couldn't, she wouldn't ever do such a thing. Surely you wouldn't, she couldn't, couldn't ever forget the poor, a poor, great, forget misery and sickness. Clearly is that. No doubt a trip to Italy be extraordinarily delightful, but there's many delightful things one would like to do, and what would strength given to one, except to one, help one not to do them. Said fast at the points of the compass. To Miss Sefercott, the great four facts of life, God, husband, home duty, she had gone to sleep on those facts years ago, on a period of much misery, her head resting on them, eyes on a pillow, she had a great dread of being awakened, at so simple and troublesome a condition. Therefore, it was that she searched with earnestness, heading under which to put Miss Wilkins, and his time illuminant remained, steady her own mind, sitting there looking at her uneasily, after she had a large remark, and feeling herself becoming more and more unbalanced infected, because she decided to put um, the vigor said at meetings, put her under the nerving, heading nervous, nerves. It's possible that she ought to be go straight into the category hysteria, which is often an antechamber to lunacy. But Miss Evercott had learned not to hurry people into the final categories, final categories, having on more than one occasion discovered with dismay that she made a mistake 
how difficult he had been to get them out again, and how crushed he had been with the most terrible remorse. Yes, nerves. Probably she had no regular work for others, thought Miss Everscott. No work that she could take herself out, take herself outside herself. Evidently she was rudderless, blown about by gusts by impulses. Nerves was always most certainly her category, or would, she, would be quite soon. No one helped her. Poor little thing, thought Miss Everscott. Her own balance returning hand in hand with compassion, unable to count because the table to see the length of Miss Wilkins and legs. She always saw with a small, eager, shy face and thin, a thin shoulders, look of childish longing and eyes, something that she was sure was going to make her happy. No such things didn't make people happy. So fleeting things, Miss Alcott, learned in her long life of Frederick. He was her husband. She had married him at twenty, he was not twenty three. Where alone true joys are to be found. They are found they are not to be they are not they are to be found. She now knew them only daily and hourly, living for others. They are only found only. Had, had she over and over again her disappointments, discouragements there, come away confronted, comforted at the feet of God. Frederick had been kind, husband, whose life betakes herself early, feet of God, from him to them. Him to them, been a short, furrow, painful step. Seems short to her in retrospect. In really taking the whole the first year of their marriage, each inch of the way been a struggle, each inch of it was stained, drained. She felt that time with her heart's blood, all that was over now. She had long since power and peace. Frederick found passionately loved by groom from her friendship, young husband, comes second only to God, list of duties and forbearances. There he hangs the second importance of bloodless thing, bed white by prayers for years, been able to be happy, only to, by forgetting happiness. She wanted staying like that. She wanted to shut out everything, a reminder of the beautiful things that might settle off again long desiringly. I'd like to, so much to be friends, she said earnestly. Will you come and see me, or let me come to you sometimes, whether you feel as if you wanted to talk? I'll give you my address, she stuck in her handbag, and then she wouldn't forget. She found a card and helped it out. Miss Wilkins did not a card. It's so funny, said Miss Wilkins, just as she had not heard her. But it's tears both, you and me, this April in the medieval castle. Miss Everett not relapsing in uneasiness. Do you? Said Mary, making an effort to stay balanced under a vigilant gaze, the shiny grey eyes. Do you? Do you ever see things in a kind of flash before they happen? Asked Miss Watkins. Never said I forgot. She cried a smile. She tried to smile this sympathetic way. Yet wise and tolerant smile which she uncustomed. This is a necessary bias. Incomplete view of the poor. She didn't see the smile trembled out. Of course, she said in a low voice, almost as if she was afraid. Vicar, the saving banks, the lifting. It'd be most beautiful, most beautiful. Even if it were wrong, said Miss Wilkins, it would only be for a month. That began, again, Mrs. Well got quite clear. Uh, that but responsiveness, such a point of view. And Miss Watkins stopped her before she would, could finish. Anyhow, said Miss Watkins, stopping her. I'm sure it's wrong to go beyond being good for too long till one gets miserable. I can see you've been good for years and years because you look so happy. Miss Wilkins opened her mouth to protest. I've done nothing but duties. Things for other people ever since I was a girl. Don't believe anybody loved me a bit. Don't believe anybody loves me a bit, a bit better. I long, I long for something else. Something else. As she was going, was she going to cry? Miss Scott became accurately, 
Judy is uncomfortable and, un- and sympathetic. She hoped she wasn't going to cry. Not there. Not in a funny room. Strangers coming and going. This one forgot. After taking a little handkerchief that couldn't come out of her pocket, and seated at last, Miriam apparently blowing her nose of it, then blinking her eyes very quickly once or twice, looked at Mrs. Weathercock with a quivering air of half humble, half frightened apology, and smiled. Will you believe? she whispered, trying to study her mouth, evidently dreadfully, ashamed of herself. I have never spoken anyone before in my life like this. I can't think, I simply don't know what has come over me. It's the advertisement, said Mr. Scott, nodding gravely. Yes, said Miss Hawkins, dabbing firmly in her eyes. And that's being so, she blew her nose again a little. Miserable.